Hey, John. How's it going, buddy? Hey, Brandon. How's it going? Good. Did you have a good Father's Day? I did, yeah. What'd you do? Father's Day. Uh, Family time. Spent the day. Worked out with my son. And then had everybody over for grilling. Nice, man. I did the same. Well, I didn't work out my son because he's uh, like 14 months. But I did grilling on Father's Day. And I know I've talked about it before on here, but if you don't have one, a Traeger grill and a meter Bluetooth thermometer are game changers. And, you know, I know people like one of my best friends, I always tell him, dude, you got to get a Traeger. He's like, I know. I just feel like it's cheating. I got a smoker. You know, it's blah, blah. I'm like, but you're out there all day. You're out there tending the wood. You're out there checking the temperatures. It's nonstop babysitting. You can set the Traeger from your phone. You can look at it any time and increase temperature, lower the temperature, whatever you want to do. And then the meter, you put it in the meat. You say, this is what I'm cooking. It gives you the optimal temperature and it starts a countdown and gives you a projected time that's going to be finished within a minute of accuracy. It'll, it'll Like on Thanksgiving, I did a turkey. Put the put the meter in the turkey. It's like it'll be done in seven hours and 22 minutes. Seven hours and 22 minutes later was exactly when it hit the optimal temperature and I pulled it off the grill. But I knew exactly what time it was going to be done through technology. Now, had I been having a you know traditional manual smoker, I'd be out there all day checking it. Slide the thermometer yeah. and taking it. Oh, we got, you know... We got 42 more degrees to go. Yeah, it's totally cool if that's what you're into, but I agree. I'd rather do that. You know, we're we're living like in an age of Atlantis right now where it's just amazing technologies that we have. And if you can benefit from it and take advantage of it and have an an insanely good dinner without having to, you know, spend the whole day doing it, I'm telling you, man, the the food that comes off the Traeger, I've had that Traeger now for, I don't know, probably close to a year. And we use it pretty much every day. And we have consecutively. It's not one of those things that you That's buy cool. and you're like, oh, this is really cool. And then two weeks later, it's got a cover on it and you never use it again. We literally use that thing every single day. And every single day, me and my wife are like, oh my God, this is like the best thing ever. You know, whatever it is, chicken wings, chicken thighs. She cooked a whole chicken. It was incredible. Skirt steaks, oh. ribeyes, whatever it is, it is so good. I'm going to throw enchilada tonight. Uh, she bought enchiladas. I'm going to put them in a metal tray and put them in there and smoke the enchiladas. Yeah, why not? But my point with this, John, the reason I went down this little path is time. So what the Traeger does and what the meter does is it takes a tremendous amount of time out of the process. And so you're able to have better than restaurant quality food. You know, I haven't gone to a restaurant in a long time where I got a steak and I was like, oh my God, the steak's amazing. I mean, you know, you go and you get a, you'll get a decent yeah, steak, but yeah, it's, it's, not, all right. it's not blow your blow your socks off. I'm telling you, man, you cook a steak on a Traeger, take it off, throw it in a cast iron skillet, you know, sear it on both sides for three minutes, take it off, slice that thing up. It is the best steak you've ever had in your life. I promise it's the best steak you ever had. And you're able to do that with a very small time investment. And what Traeger and Meter do for cooking is what you and I have been talking about with, you know, these new generation of products is time savings. If you're a chef, time is money. Now, for me, cooking at my house, it's not necessarily a financial equation, but it's, it's a quality of life equation. It's I'd rather be inside with my kids than standing outside with a thermometer for, you know, four or five hours messing with something where I can just, it'll ping my phone when it's five minutes from being ready and I can go out and take it off, you know? Time, time, and then profitability because last week we talked about profitability and it was a yeah. really good conversation. We went in depth on, on some things, but it got some conversations going. And Simon Tipple who's up in Canada, took it upon himself to track his time on using 
maker mix, he, he took the time to, to track his time. And right. then he took the time to track his time with his uh, older mix that he used to use. And he compared the two. And the time savings with Kodiak Pro was tremendous. And he, was, he essentially wrote a long post, which I shared on Facebook. And if you're in some of the concrete groups, you possibly saw it. If not, add me as a friend on Facebook and you can, you can find it on my profile. It was really interesting. And so profitability. And it's just this conversation. Well, that, that yeah, uh, I'm sorry I'm interrupted. The big thing that what I really liked about his write-up is just that. Well, no, before I go down that thing, I truly believe, because we did, we did talk about profit and profitability on the last, last podcast. And I have to say, in the last week, with many of the phone calls I've been talking to guys, I think a lot of the idea of profit or profitability is really misunderstood or just not understood at all. In this industry, with so many of us, we've always equated, or it seems like any me, I know I fell into this trap years ago, is whatever money I made beyond my material cost in making whatever, let's say a vanity for $3,000 and Hey, I put 500 bucks of material into it with the melamine and you know, blah, blah, blah. Hey, look, I made 2,500 bucks. No, that that's not profit. I mean, that's where we, I think so many of us have got lost in this thing is profit. So I, as you know, and I know I'm off track a little bit of where, where we're going, but I didn't track my time. I didn't pay myself. I didn't, I was looking at this amount of money past my material cost as me making money. And with a lot of projects, as it turns out, I wasn't making money because I, a lot of my overhead paying myself and all these things, it, it, it was not profitable. And that was a really hard lesson learned, but Go ahead. That, that's what I liked what, that he did with this is he not only took those materials and his time, which debatable the, the number he used on his time, but then he equated that to being pro or, you know, what it would take and how far and what you can make. And I mean, it was, it was, um, it was a very good write up. Yeah. Just while you were talking, I found it. So I pulled it up. He uh, titled it the keyhole perspective trap. And it's really well-written and he did a really good job of breaking it down. But he says, a lot of people uh, take the job minus the cost of materials as their profit. And he says he was very guilty of this and it's fundamentally wrong. It goes into it. Now, what he does is he equates his time or he values his time in this, in this scenario at $100 an hour. Right. And based on $100 an hour time, his savings, he could make about 125000 more per year using Kodiak Pro versus the mix he used to use. So he could make that because he has the, the ability to make up to 33 more kitchens per year based on the time savings that he's not able to make right now. There's more projects he can take on. Or he can not do that and just spend time doing things he wants to do. Right. He, he could make up that at $100 an hour. Now, where, and I asked him the $100 an hour, he said, well, it's just, it's a number that he thinks a lot of people would find palatable as far as what they value their time at, right? But that's right. not what his time is worth. I, that's the other big misunderstanding in this industry, in every industry. It doesn't matter what industry it's in. The big right. misunderstanding that people do not figure properly is what is the value of the time. We've talked about this again and again and again and again. And I'm going to kick this horse again right now 
in the sense of, and don't take this the wrong way, people listening to this podcast out there in podcast land, don't take this the wrong way, but if you are a business, this isn't a side thing, this isn't like your side hustle, you know, if, if you're a business and you have an employee, you need to be grossing about $500,000 a year, every year. And you're like, oh my God, well, you know, I've never made 500000 in my life. Bro, I don't make 500000 That's not what I make. That's gross. Okay, that's gross. The government's going to take their cut. Well, let's take 30% right off the top, 150000 gone, right out of the gates. Then you have your shop. Then you have your utilities. Then you have your insurance. Then you have your property tax. Then you have the most expensive or, or the most uh, high cost expense of all of them. And that's your, your employee, your labor. They're the ones who make all the mm-hmm. money. You have your employee. Well, let's say yeah, you're paying workman's comp and taxes. Yeah, 25 and yeah, to I mean, 35 an hour minimum in today's right. age. I'm in Kansas. I pay my guy 25 here in California. You better be 35 to 50 probably because it's just insane. Then you have right. your cost of goods sold. You have advertising. You have uh, just so many different things. And then the one thing that we all don't, Take into account is you got to pay yourself, right? You need to pay yourself. Well, that's that's what, again, yeah, that's that's where I think this conversation gets very convoluted. Well, hold I, on, I know it hold has on. with but the guys I, I've talked about. Is go ahead, sorry. I, I just want to finish the thought of. So let's say you want to you personally, as the owner of the business, you want to net around two hundred thousand a year. That's what you want to pay yourself. It's two hundred thousand a year. You're like, oh, that seems like a lot of money. I was listening to NPR the other day, and they were talking. They were talking to some economists, and he was saying that. In today's dollars, at the height of the Great Depression, the average income was 88000 a year in today's dollars, okay? At the peak of the Great Depression, which I, I want to say was 1938 or 1939, that was the, the worst year of the Great Depression for unemployment. And the, the average income per person, not per family, it's important to know, per person was 88000 a year in today's dollars, Okay. That was the average income. Yeah. I still think the average is 77. I just read that today well, in the U S according to this, econ- this economist I was listening to, he was saying 88 now, whatever. Okay. I mean, we're off by 11, but that's still, yeah. the point is in the U S right now, the average income per person is like 32,000 a year, 31,000 a year is the average. Mm-hmm. And he was essentially saying like, we're living right now worse than the people in the great depression live. We don't think so because you don't see people lined up down the street, you know, waiting to get soup at a, at a, a kitchen, but as far as the economics go, we're in a worse place than we were during the Great Depression. It's just not talked about, right? So when you say, I want to net 200000 a year, the people in the Great Depression, the average income was eighty-eight. And this is, uh, you know, I'm the sole provider for my family. So my wife doesn't bring an income in. You know, if, if we went based on the Great Depression numbers of eighty-eight, that'd be 176000 you know, so again, for, for two people income, that'd be pretty much what I'm saying you would want to net as a business owner. Right. Okay. So I don't think that's out yeah, of lines. I, I don't think that's crazy numbers in today's world. But to do that, if, uh, let me finish this equation, John, and then you can, you can run with it. To, right. let's, let's, let's gross 500,000. Okay. You're like, I'm going to work 52 weeks a year, 40 hours a week. And so I need to divide that by 52 and then by 40. No, 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 bro. You're not going to work 52 weeks a year. You're going to take off. No. I promise you, Thanksgiving and Christmas, you're going to be off for two weeks. You and your, you and your employee, your employee is going to be off for two weeks. Everybody is. So two weeks off then. Summertime, well, you want to go to the beach. You want to go do something. You're going to be off for two weeks. So let's take that 52 down to 48, number one. Number two, you're not working on client work from the time you get in the time you leave. You're going to come in. You're going to piddle around for a while. 
you and your employee are going to talk about stuff. Hey, what'd you do last night? You know, whatever. You're going to talk about what we need to do today. We need to do this. We need to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We need to run down to Lowe's. We need to get this stuff. Okay, yeah. And you're going to maybe work, maybe work on client work five to six hours a day. Maybe. Of actual real-time working on a client project. Five to six hours a day. And what I've learned, and I've been doing this now for 20 years. And for 20 years, it's feast or famine. And the first 10 years of my life in this business, it used to scare me to death. I would be slam busy or I would be crickets. And I'd be slam busy and I'd be crickets. I'd freak out when it's crickets. Oh my God, ah! Then like, you know, 12 projects show up all at once and they all need it done ASAP. And then you're cranking and you're killing yourself. And that's just the way it is. So this whole idea that you're going to be working 48 weeks a year, six hours a day, every single day. Again, that's not really true. So it's going to be even less than that. So, but anyways, yeah. if, if you figure 48 weeks, six hours a day, that's like 325 or no, 350 bucks an hour is, is what it came to when I calculated like 347, 350 bucks an hour. That at minimum is what you should be valuing your time. And so where I'm going with this is Simon Tipple with his equation here saying essentially that he would make 325,000 more per year um, based on a hundred bucks an hour. Well, three, 325 is what it should be. So let's take, uh, what was that? 125, 125,000. I'm, I'm doing this on my laptop times 3.25. What it really should have been that number would be he could make up to 406,000 more per year based yeah. on actual valuation numbers of what he should be charging for his time. Right. The value. And time. again, that, that's taken for granted the works out there. The other side of it would be per his write up is if he's, if his lifestyle is comfortable with where he's at, but now instead of, instead of working five days a week, he's working three days a week. Well, again, man, uh, this running around the clock is not forever. So exactly. go spend time with your family, go do the things that makes life worth living. That's, that's where, where I'm at. That's where yeah, I'm at right now I'm is yeah. I'm good where I'm at. I don't, I'm not a money collector. I don't care. If I made three times the amount of money I did last year, next year, it wouldn't change one facet of my life as far as what I'm able to do, happiness, whatever. Like that doesn't change anything for me. I'm not rich, right. but I don't need anything. Like I don't, I don't need a, a fancy car or a huge house or any of those things. I don't need to do that. So for me, if I was able to cut my work life back to two days a week, three days a week, and spend the rest of the week doing whatever I want to do, go to the gym, lay by the pool, play with my kids, you know, work on, on right. just side projects that I find interesting to me, but you know, it's not profitable for client work, but I can work on things that I find interesting. That would be a way better life work, you know, balance of happiness. And that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm shooting for. But for most people, they're trying to find profitability because they're not finding it. They, they work and they work and they work. One of my best friends, last thing before I let you run with it. One of my best friends, he's a home builder. I love the guy. I've, I've been friends with him forever. And he's a home builder and he builds massive homes, multi-million dollar homes. You know, I think the cheapest house he builds is probably five or 600,000 and it goes up into the multi-millions and he's got 10 different homes going any given time. He's the builder. He never has any money. He is slam busy. He mm -hmm. never has any money. And he equates busy, and you and I are talking about this, yep. busy with success. Success, exactly. Yeah, I'm busy, but yeah. he doesn't Dude, understand. I'm butt. He doesn't yeah. understand. Look and so how much work I got going. Yeah. I'll talk to him. And he's like, he's like, dude, because his wife does the accounting. 
He's like, man, I, I don't know. I think she's doing something. I don't know what it is. Well, you know, I should have this money in the bank. Like, you know, this house I made, uh, I built was 2.7 million. Uh, there should be. And I'm like, dude, it's your wife isn't laundering money for herself. What's yeah. going on is you aren't charging what you need to be charging to be profitable. It's not a her problem. It's a you right. problem. But you have never calculated your numbers and you don't know what you need to be to be profitable. So right now you're going the wrong direction. You think you're going the right direction because you got 10 homes. But you're not. But if you ever sat down and did the math and then you started charging what you need to charge to be profitable, that $600,000 house would be a $1.8 million house. And if it was anything less than that, you'd lose money on. And that's the boat you're in right now. Right. Anyways. Okay. You go, John. No, no. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and we're going to keep kicking this horse and kicking it until it, you know, rots away. But the reality is if I had learned 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, what I know now or the perception I have now of profitability and what that actually means, it, it would have made my life very different for the last 10 years. Done, doing this long enough, I know how people are looking at it. I know how they're looking at it because we all did that. Oh, look, I got this kitchen for five grand. Woohoo, $5,000. This is amazing. I go to my shop. First of all, I got to Run, you know, 30 minutes to Lowe's, pick up some melamine, uh, get in, and it takes me two days to form it up. That's awesome. Hey, we're installing it. Whatever amount of time. To, hey, next week, hey, we're putting it in. Hey, look, I got my check. That's great. I paid my materials. Hey, this and that. So everything left over. Look, I'm doing good. And you paid your employee? That's why yeah, it kills you're, you. No, you're, your employees you're make 60 G's. I, I your employee makes 60 G's. You made nothing. Your employee exactly. made the money. I, you did all the work to give it to your employee. That's, that's yeah. yeah. So see, that's what I, I know for me, it's now math, but back to Simon's, whether that be a hundred dollars an hour or $20 an hour or $50 an hour. If I was my perception now, if I'm going to equate that number to profitability, and I'm just going to use his hundred dollars an hour. But let's not. If hold I'm on. Going to let's wait not. That, I would say no, let's I'm going not, to. Hang on. Let me finish don't, my thought. Because that. I'm going to. Uh, that's a finish? straw dog. That argument of a hundred dollars no, an hour. It's not. No, Nobody's it's not. time's not. worth a hundred bucks an hour. You're uh, arguing with me. Give uh, me a minute. Uh, if I'm going to use that hundred dollars an hour as my profitability, that hundred dollars an hour should not be included of what I'm calling my labor any of my overhead, any of that, that needs to be a number that I have figured out is that number that ends up going towards my 401k or my, okay, that's the way I equate profitability. Now it's, it's those numbers that I've calculated in that goes above and beyond my necessity for groceries, PG, you know, electricity, uh, overhead, shops, expenses, materials, employees, and yes, my hourly rate because I need to be paid. So that $100 an hour should not be included in any of that. I'm going to call that, that's your gold number of that golden nugget at the end of everything that we truly call profitability. And that cannot be your labor. Yeah, that but can't that's, be. You're just saying net. That's your net. And you want to make 100 bucks an hour. Okay. Well, okay. A hundred bucks an hour. Let's say that's what you want to take home is a hundred bucks an hour. What is a hundred bucks an hour at? No, no, no. That's not no, what no, I'm no. saying. No, I'm saying if I paid myself a hundred dollars an hour, Okay. when I, again, that's me, I'm paying myself a hundred dollars an hour. 
again, I mean, I, we could run these numbers all day long, but let's just for a moment say that my overhead in my shop, again, just for easy numbers is 500 bucks a day. But remember, that's 365 days a year. See, that's something people don't think about it either. They think, oh, yeah, well, I'm in my shop Monday through Wednesday. No, man, you don't look at that as 1500 bucks. That's, what is that, times seven, right? That's 3500 bucks. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, but anyway, let's use that for easy, $500. Once you break that down and then same thing. No, I, I gotta, I have to equate myself at again, let's say a hundred dollars an hour, but that's John's labor. That's John's labor. That's not profit. Yeah. That's John's labor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah profit yeah. is everything beyond that. It's the it's the stuff that ends up going into your your account. That I mean, that's the way I look at now anyway. Sure. It's it's not money that I need for groceries. That's not money that I need for my mortgage. That's not not for my truck payment or my car insurance. What I call and so to me, that's all part of your net. What I call true profitability is that amount of money that I'm sending away each that you see that I just didn't need. Well, or that I like going to my 401k or whatever the case may be, that's my profit. And if I haven't put that in, then, you know, I, I haven't equated the days to go fishing or the days to, you know, go to nationals for four days. I mean, all of that expense has to be put in there somewhere and it can't just be, Hey, look, I got five grand on this job. I $500 in materials. I made 4,500 bucks. Mm, no, no, you didn't. If it took you that seven days, there's the 3,500. I told you an overhead right there. Boom. That left you a thousand bucks. And by the way, you worked five days to do it. Oh, geez. Uh, back to that. If I'm paying myself, you know, <laughs> what is that? 500 bucks a day, I'm, I'm already upside down. I've lost a thousand dollars on this job. Yeah. That's the way people should be looking at it. hundred percent. I agree. I mean, you're saying the same thing I'm saying. You're just saying it in a different way. You're riding way. at the same, Correct. same way of getting yes. there. But at the end of the day, what the, the mistake people are making is they're not, they're not doing any of the work. They're just saying, Hey, what do you charge? And they're like, well, I charge 150 a square foot. I saw this question today pop up on, on Facebook. I charge 150 a square foot. That doesn't mean anything to you. And if you take no. that 150 a square foot, there's no guarantee that you're going to be profitable. And so the attrition rate in this industry, it hovers around 90% is the yes. attrition rate. And I, I know that for a fact. So do I. Because for the well, well, you know it from, buddy, years, from Blue Concrete. Exactly. Yeah. Blue and Buddy Roads. What I can tell you is we typically saw 10 or about 2,000, I'll just use that easy number, 2,000 customers a year, 2,000 sales to just to different named customers. And of those 2,000, we had about 180 that were steady customers. So that other, you know, what are 1,800 some odd customers they were either one-offs or basically tried to be in business and were out of business yeah. and closed doors because, because they never looked at the numbers based on the way we're discussing right now. And, and that's a hard thing. I don't know. I, I think the information is tough to absorb for people who've never been given that information from this point of view before, because obviously for us, it took me a long time to digest it. Yep. Same. And, um, and, and quite frankly, 
there's so much of the information out there that's been that continues to be presented. Like I was just reading some stuff today and I'm just going to pick one out of a hat that you just have to try all these products oh, yeah. and you just have to find which one works for you. Let's, let's get to that in a minute. Cause I, I do want to go into depth on that. Let's, okay. let's put a pin in that one. We'll come to that here in a minute. Okay. Let's finish all this right. conversation of that 90% attrition, that 90% that goes out of business. I yeah. wonder how many, and I, I, I bet if we talk to these people, do you know why you went out of business? Uh, well, they're just, uh, you know, just not demand. I, uh, they would have no clue why they went out of business. There's not that there's a lack of demand and we could talk about that. And that's a whole other podcast of, of you need to make things people want to buy. I mean, that's critical. You need to make things people want to buy. If you don't make that, nobody's going to call you. They need to make things that are going to be strong and durable and problem free. Cause if you make concrete and you slather it with whatever, some, some sealer that peels off or yellows or scratches and everybody's calling you back. Well, then you're not going to be in business very long or the concrete breaks or it's full of bug holes or whatever it is. You're not going to be in business very long. But the third part of that equation that I think is probably why the vast majority of these guys go to business is they didn't charge a rate that accounted for all their expenses and they weren't profitable. And at some point, as you're going the wrong direction, you finally got to throw in the towel and say, I need to go back into the corporate world. I gave it a shot. It didn't work out. I'm going to go back and get a job and, you know, get a guaranteed income. Right. There's nothing uh, wrong with that. An income you can count on because you're whatever, 60 bucks or 50 bucks an hour or whatever the case may be. Because they, like many of us, they didn't equate that all into their true cost, including themselves. Exactly. And yeah. the vast majority of those people, if they're honest with themselves and honest in a conversation, would not know why they went out of business. They, they'd have all these ideas, but they wouldn't know. The reason you went out of business, unless you're using EAP, and that put a lot of people out of business because the sealer was so bad, but the reason you went out of business for, for almost all of them is you weren't profitable. That's what it came down to. You weren't profitable yeah. and you couldn't sustain and you, you couldn't truly pay your, weren't profitable. Exactly. And you know, we're, you're guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. Dusty yep. almost went out of business. Dusty Baker, like 12, 13 years ago, he was super busy. He was one of those yep. that equated busy with success. Super busy at the wrong price, at the wrong price. And he was bleeding out slowly. He's paying slowly. his guys, paying his suppliers, paying, you know, paying for his, mortgage, but he didn't have anything at the end of the day. There was nothing left over and he was going the wrong direction. He was dipping into his savings to pay people, to pay this, to pay that. Right, and or you need a, need another sander or the mixer breaks. Put it on a credit card. Whatever the case may be. You know, put yeah. it on a credit card. Let's mm-hmm. just keep racking it up and you're going the Dip. wrong direction, but you're like, dude, I got 20 projects. I'm, I'm super successful. Look at all the work I have, but you're not, you're not making a profit. And so right. we're the only people talking about this. The, the other whatever venues out there for information, whether it be training or, or, or product YouTube yeah. or Facebook or whatever it is, they're not having these conversations probably because they don't even know what that, that means. They're, they never were profitable. You know, the people that are teaching us other classes or whatever, they never ran a successful business. So they never had to, to, to tackle these issues and understand them the way we have. And right. it's to me, you know, I would, if one guy out there, one, one girl, one guy, one whatever out there listening to this podcast, it makes a difference and you're able to turn the ship around 
crunch the numbers, charge accordingly, and be profitable, and you stay in business, and you're able to provide for your family long-term, doing something that you love, it was worth it. The conversation was worth it. A lot of people are like, ah, whatever, I don't care. Yeah. This is, you know, uh, yeah, 20 bucks an hour is what my time's worth. All right, bro, you're going to be working a corporate job sooner than you think, and that's, that's fine, but that's the reason. Well, and that's what's made our message since we first came out um, come across as quite abrasive to people, to some people. And, you know, it's because it, it counters so much of the other information that's presented out there here. We're talking about profitability. And as you know, the, uh, we're doing the made better to make better. And that's one I, I am going to do a write up showing just that. And we use words like time and your cost and this. And I think a lot of people, the reality is they need to see that. I mean, like it's easy to talk about, but like Simon's write-up to see it. And then you're like, Oh, now I see what he's talking about. And like, we've talked about batching. And again, I'm not saying it's the end of the world, but that 45 minutes alone, let's say. And again, if you're valuing your time at, again, I'm just going to say your time, your personal time, not your overhead, your personal labor time at a hundred dollars an hour. Okay, great. Well, there's 75 bucks. Okay. And then if you have patching and filling and slurring and color matching, and those might take various days again at an hour per two hours or whatever, that all eats into what we're calling profit at the end of the day on that project, you know, and for all and of us, lost you have opportunity. to color more than your labor. And Sorry, lost opportunity. If, if that's on yes. your tables for two to three days longer than it needs to be because you used a mix that has tons of air pockets, little pinners, and you're filling right. slurry and you're water polishing, and you got to wait a day. You put more slurry, and you come next day and you water polish. You're like, oh, my God, there's more. And it, there's always more, no matter what. Let's do it yeah. again. You do it again. Three days. That's three days you didn't do anything else because your tables were full right. of, of this stuff. So lost opportunity is another part of this conversation that people right. just missed the boat on completely. Right. Yeah. And then, so following that path, if you, if a, if any of us, let's just say you spend eight hours longer on those things than another project that didn't require that. Well, that's 800 bucks. Okay. And that's $800 taken directly out of your profit that was only used for labor. Nothing more that didn't help with overhead that didn't go into, I mean, these are the things we all need to look at, but it, I think there's a frustration out there because not long ago, right? We heard from people that right, the materials you you use don't matter. Well, that's that's uh, it's a frustrating thing for me to hear from people, but you hear it from product manufacturers. They're they're not looking to like legitimately. And uh, sorry, and those people get mad uh, uh, that are having products offered or materials, they're not looking at your success from the same point of view that we are. And our success, that time that I beat myself up, it, it cut my potential for profitability, period. And their message needs to be just the opposite. But what it is, is no, you know, my something, which someone else is carrying something similar, but mine might be better. So you need to try everybody's stuff and then decide what works for you. Well, that's, that's a horrible message. I, I, I have never. Well, who's it bad for message. and who's it good for? It's bad for the artisan 
Yes, it's good for it's good for, you know it's good for these mediocre suppliers. The mediocre suppliers. Yeah, the person who sees the profitability is the supplier. Exactly. Yeah, they thrive They're, off. Yeah, of course they want you to try all the products. They're all Certainly. the same. They're all oh. the same. Mine's slightly different. Mine might be a little bit different, but you know what? Try it. Maybe yeah. it'll you mm. wait a minute man see that's a frustrating thing that's a frustrating thing to buy whatever let's say in this case three different products and now i've cast but each time i keep running into the same thing let's call them voids you know like voids oh no 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 and i keep twisting and turning and changing and buying another product and this and that and you know it's got to be best for me and this and that and then you get these two jackals that come along and go guys i've been there I know exactly what you're talking about. It's super frustrating. So here, why don't we get this one? And then you got all these other manufacturers. Oh, don't buy into the rhetoric. Don't listen to the lies. <laughs> don't listen to the guys that actually do this for a living don't, and have for two no, decades no, and know no, exactly no. what you go through and know exactly how to fix the issue and have a product that fixes the issue. Don't listen to those guys. Listen to no, us, the salesmen. We don't guys, do this for no. a living. We don't know what we're talking about. It's, we don't We don't have to run a successful concrete business manufacturing stuff for clients. Yes. Try I've them all. It's very frustrating. I got, oh, that sealer didn't work. Oh, we got another one. Hey, try this one. Oh, that one didn't work. Oh, hey, man, you got to try this one over here. We got this one over here. And yeah. that message will continue. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I read that message again. Um, I'm not going to say who it was from, but from another, like, oh, well, you know, give, give, give ours a try. Give this one a try. Try this. I'm like, oh, my goodness, man. Like, and I, this is horrible, but I come back and I go, well, what sex, what success have you seen using it? And what's your profitability? Yeah. And then that's when the crickets start. Uh, and maybe we'll hear something like, well, you know, uh, it was done that way. I, I, I wanted all those voids. Did you? Because then why are you spending your time slurring them <laughs> and filling them <laughs> and trying to color match them? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and all that. And I'm not saying that's wrong. What I'm saying is, in my business practice, that all of that extra that needs to be done to present a quality of my work is ultimately eating into my profitability. And when that happens, am I going to be part of that 90% that same thing just ends up closing gore? Because when I really sat down and crunched the numbers, it turns out that legitimately I was losing $250 per project. And before you know it, 10 projects in, I'm 2,500 behind. That's your mortgage 20, payment right two there. Two years in. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And before you know it, I'm $250,000. Now, I don't truly see it that way because that's not like truly well, coming because out you get the check account. and you see the check and you think, I made $6,000. Exactly. But you exactly. didn't make $6,000. You, you lost 1500 And you, you just, you're on this hamster wheel of the next project. I'll make it up with the next project. And, you know, in two weeks, I got another payment due and my lease is due. And, oh man, I, I, I need this project. And, oh, this one needs to get out the door. And we've all, or those of us who've been there, it's an incredibly frustrating thing. And as we've seen, 90% of them then go, yeah, I'm going to work for so-and-so who pays me X dollars an hour. I know what I'm going to see each two every two weeks. And I'll let him take the loss. I'll let him struggle right. with profitability. I'll let him struggle with keeping the lights on and paying all the stuff that has to be paid. He can deal yeah, with it. Hard. And when it breaks and when the sealer fails and all that kind of stuff, it's on him. It's not on me. Yep. There's that as well, that aspect of it. 
you know, when I was a kid, my, uh, my grandfather had a, he's building a subdivision, a master plan community. And he brought in a consultant, this lady, uh, that came in to, to give advice on, on things she would do, like open up a, I don't know, a, um, recreation center or tennis courts, whatever. Right. And I was like 12 years old, but I still remember this lady. She was very, very super intelligent, super smart, but she had like this really great way about her. And I was talking to her and I asked her like, you know, it must be so amazing to be, you know, a person that flies over the world and, and consults. And she's like, I wake up every day unemployed every single day of my life. I'm unemployed. Mm. And every day I got to make it happen. And she's like, yeah, you know, I, I enjoy having freedom, but there's no guaranteed paycheck. And that stuck with me when I was 12 years old, maybe 13, I don't know, but I was around that age. It stuck with me that what I perceived as like phenomenal was actually super scary. And again, being these, all of us are these small business owners. All of us are unemployed. Every single day we wake up completely unemployed and we got to make it happen. And there's so many ways that you and I are trying to help all these people that are in this industry be successful. It's, it's in our best interest yes. for them to be successful. Um, but we want this industry to grow and expand. So there's, there's that aspect. The second part of it is, and you kind of hit on well, this. Well, and learn from our experience. If we exactly. have anything to offer, I mean, like legitimately to offer, it's the blood, sweat, and tears that people don't see anymore that's led to our success. But what I you know, hope is if you can avoid those pitfalls that I never saw, as we're talking about right now, profitability. Um, I, I mean, I've been there so many times. I, I totally understand. There's many times that, that even me, I almost walked away. We closed shop and this and that because, gosh, and, and it, it was so, sorry, I'm going down this road again. I mean, we've done stuff, $30,000 projects. And like, oh my God, 30 grand. This is amazing. And then by the time you're like, oh my God, and, and I'm already clawing for the next project because, what happened? Where'd that money go? Yeah. I just paid my bills. I, you know, it's so, so frustrating. It is. Sorry. Well, yeah. I mean, dude, I've had projects that were, that were over $200,000 that I lost money on. I lost yeah. money. So that's, you know, big projects, big money, big problems, big projects, big problems. Things can go sideways and it's not $200, it's $20,000, you know, and it, it all adds up and on mistakes. And uh, so I've been down there. But the second thing you kind of hit on, but you didn't really elaborate on, is when things happen, that money comes out of your pocket. Oh, yeah. There's not some yeah, yeah. magic corporation above you where that money comes from. That is literally coming out of your bank account, your personal bank account. And so when there's a mistake, when there's a sealer failure, when there's three extra days on the table because you're filling pinholes, all that money is coming out of your pocket. It's your money that you're, right. you're throwing at it. And there's been so many projects I've done that when I crunched the numbers at the end of the project, essentially what I did is I took the client's money, I did the project, I gave them the project that they paid for, plus four or 5,000 bucks out of my own pocket. They mm -hmm. don't know that. They don't know that I, I lost $5,000 on it, but that's what it came down to when I crunched the numbers because of whatever, because the form failed or the pigment was wrong or any number of reasons that things went sideways and we spent way more time than we anticipated, right? But those things, right. yeah. that happens. It, the best laid plans, th that happens. And that 
money directly came out of my pocket. And uh, you can only do that so many times. Yeah. You know. Right. And, and that's why we're touching on something else. That's why quite some time ago, again, I'm going to call this part of my profit. I started this thing. Let's, let's for the moment, let's call it the tool savings account. And I had a number that I worked into every job. And then that number, again, that wasn't based on my labor. That wasn't based on my overhead. That wasn't based on anything. That was based on a certain number that went into, let's call it a savings account, a holding account. And then that helped me pay for those times where I needed to. I think we've talked about this in previous when I wanted to start doing more of the rejuvenations and reseals and stuff, right? Restorations. I got tired of going into place and they'd be like, oh yeah, concrete countertops. Look at these. And I'm like, oh, hey, we can doll those up. No, no, no. And well, that alone, you know, you know, those Festool sanders, what are they now? Six, almost $700. More now. The vacuum, the pads. I mean, before I know it, putting together this rig between the pads you know, sander, the vacuum, da, da, da. you're into this thing right around $3,000. Well, now again, let's say the way all of us thought about it before was, well, I, I just need to get those tools. So that would either go on a credit card or, you know, something, sure. something. And then in the next project, we either paid all of that or we paid part of it on the credit card. But again, we still, where did my labor go? Because I still bought groceries. <laughs> you know, I still had to put fuel in my truck. I still had to do these things. And so this, this part of running a small business, I think needs to be emphasized more and more and more. We talk about it and we have talked about it and related to the materials, which we've definitely seen has, you know, made some hair stick up on people back of their heads. Like, oh, I can't believe that. No, I did. the materials don't matter. I literally read today that there, yeah, there's, there's, there's no magic to the materials um, on somebody's post today. And I'm like, mm, okay, maybe so. I know we've all joked about, you know, you know, pixie dust and so forth, but there is a magic. And that magic is if you have materials that are designed around the ability for you to be profitable, that means something. That actually means something to well, your the, bottom the, line. The big lie, John, that is perpetuated is they're all the same. Correct. So yes. the lie, and that, that lie is created and per- perpetuated by people that have a vested interest in making people believe that all the materials are the same that the quality is the same, that the ingredients are the same, that everything's the same. Well, hang on. No, I'm going to disagree with you. You know where they are the same? What? And this, this is, uh, listen, I watch people get mad. You know where they absolutely are the same? By a manufacturer just wants to sell you something. <laughs> That's the only place that they're the same. They're the same because you've got a manufacturer who's got something else to sell to you. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you're one of the 10%, that actually is successful and well, let's say successful enough to be around as long or whether you're part of the 90% of the attrition rate that turns over one way or another, those people that say, tell you all that stuff, they're getting paid. Yeah. Well, Their I mean, you, you saw that with, with Buddy Rhodes was, yeah, you know, there correct. was a lot of the sales came from people that were, were going to be out of business. I don't want that. Yeah. I want our no. customers to be here next year, the year after, the year after. I want those relationships. Absolutely. I want that success in the industry. I want the industry to grow. I want the the uh, expectation of quality and craftsmanship and performance as a whole of concrete yep. 
to grow because right now the general perception by the public isn't the best for concrete. Uh, and it never has been, I mean, it's, it's gotten somewhat better maybe, but still, you know, you listen to HGTV or any type of show and, and the way that people talk about concrete countertops is, eh, you know, it's a budget thing. They stain easily. Uh, the sealer yellows, you can't do this, can't do that. And, uh, that's not true if you're using the right products, but, uh, unfortunately a lot of people aren't, you know, they're whatever they're watching YouTube and buying some DIY grade, uh, products and they're getting DIY grade results. And that's right. what's being put out into the, the world and hobbyist based product. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah. that's what the, the general public architects, designers, that's what they see concrete as. And they shouldn't, they should see concrete as a super high performance extremely durable, extremely life-friendly material, but they don't. Most of them, they don't see it that way. And uh, so- Well, and the other thing I love to see is when we see the customers, you know, going on their various trips and doing the kind of things now that they're getting more time to do than when they were focused on at least their perception of success at the time. And the dynamics changed. Mm -hmm. That's what I truly enjoy as well. Yeah. All good stuff, John. We keep going down this road. I feel like last podcast and this podcast, we've kind of hit it from all angles. If we can help people stay in business, if we can help them bypass the mistakes and stay in business, then that's good for them. It's good for us. It's good for the industry. It's good for everybody. So let's break this 90% cycle. Yes, because I think oftentimes too, you know, people that build up a wall is who maybe they went out of business or they're not making the money. You know, this is not a question of a person's craftsmanship. No, there's, I mean, dude, I've, there's people I've, I've seen. They do really, amazing, yeah, really good work. Amazing, and they went out of business. Yeah. Amazing artisans. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But you know what? The majority of us have not been good at at all. Business. 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 This is so this is not a, this is not a slight of anybody's artistry or craftsmanship or skill or intelligence, none of that yeah. or intelligence. No, 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 no. This is a slight to all of us that came along. It's, <clears throat> I'll put it in a, a totally different light. Okay. When I was growing up, what didn't, you know, with a single mom busting her butt, puts herself through college and nursing school and, you know, yada, 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 yada. What was never really discussed in my family growing up was any of the ideas of, you know, things that you investments. I mean, the, the idea of even an investment was never, never something talked about in my home. I'm, you know, maybe as a kid, you put some money in a savings account, but you never looked at things. And it took Aim and I into well into our 40s before we started looking at it from that idea. And that's, so this is how I equate this to profitability. You know what I mean? Is so if, if you've been someplace and you've grown up a sun rent and you've run your business in a some way, or you work for somebody else and you never really got the grasp of what it means to be profitable. So you beat the snot out of yourself. You're busy as heck. You're buying materials, stuff that you're installing. You blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, you're still grasping to try to make your bills Man, that is so, so frustrating. Um, so, yeah, no, we'll keep kicking it, man. Yeah. I'm going to do a, a thing, a, a write-up. I think I already did one. I don't know if you're going to – I think you even rewrote it. 
in, in a really nice way. I always have to. Um, right, I know. Right up another <laughs> one. Again, breaking this down for people, and, and you know what? If it just if it if it just grabs on to one more person to view this from a different angle, which helps them be successful, uh, that's uh, I'm totally totally up for that. What else you want to talk about, John? You know, something that has been a big topic of conversation for me and for you privately with people the last week has been Ramcrete. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah. you've gotten tons of calls. I've gotten several calls. Today I was talking to a guy in Canada. Uh, every day I've probably talked to one or two people that have emailed me wanting to know more about Ramcrete. Well, I would definitely say based on the impact it's created – I see this being pretty big, man. I it's really do. It's going to be huge. Uh, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was telling you earlier. I'm really excited you know, about it. Continue to be excited about it. I haven't seen this level of interest and excitement. So when GFRC was new and I was doing those, the very first classes on GFRC, there was a lot of excitement, you know, in mm -hmm. the industry. People, everybody was doing, you know, old school Buddy Rhodes or Futung Chang mixes, um, which were done in a barrel mixer and used, you know, Buddy used uh, lath for stucco as, as uh, right. reinforcement and Chang used rebar. So GFRC generated a lot of buzz and excitement. And I remember that it was, it was palpable back then. Like people are just like excited. It's like, oh my God, GFRC, what is this? Ah! People are kind of going right. crazy. And then uh, fabric forming. When um, I started doing classes on fabric forming, again, the, the, interest in the buzz and the excitement was again you could feel it and well that it was, turned the ordinary i think uh, to me fabric forming turned the ordinary into sexy exactly all of a sudden you have these really clean organic lines. modern yeah, yeah you yeah. couldn't get that any other way and cncs right. especially then this is like 2006 that did the first class on fabric forming cncs i mean today you can get a cnc for like thirty thousand bucks back then cncs were a half million bucks so nobody yeah. was getting CNCs and CNC in this organic shape, you know, that you'd have to program right. and CNC into the whole thing. Nobody was doing that. And so fabric forming opened up a whole world of possibilities that didn't exist. And in my opinion, to this day, still is uh, one of the most underutilized forming techniques. I'm going to use it. I'm, I'm going to do a staircase here at my new shop, and I'm going to do fabric form stair treads. But fabric forming was one of the things that when, when we started doing fabric forming, when I started doing fabric forming workshops, there was a lot of buzz. And, you know, since then, there hasn't really been anything that's come out that got people super excited. Now, you know, GFRC got a little bit better when you went to Buddy Rhodes and you helped refine the mix. It got better there. Sealer's gotten a little bit better. ICT's gotten better. Uh, you, know, you know, I'm not a big fan of topicals, but I'd say topicals have probably gotten better in that time frame as well. It's kind of been incremental. Now, as far as materials goes, I think Kodiak Pro, we've definitely, like, come out with this quantum leap forward. But again, that's one of those things that for most people, it's not this like sexy thing. You know, it's just like, right. it's like you, you went from like a six cylinder to a 12 cylinder under the hood, but it's under the hood. So you don't even know it's there. Right. So most people are like, yeah, right. whatever. I don't care. Right, right, um, but, and the reason why we're talking about profitability. Yeah. Exactly. Trying to get exactly. The whole idea to understand that. Yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry, keep going. But the Ramcrete is something that's sexy. And people are really excited about it. Like, oh my God. And so I've gotten yeah. so many calls and you've gotten a ton of calls. And we were getting a ton of people on the website that were looking at stuff. And you contact those people and say, hey, uh, you know, I saw that you were, you were uh, on the site and, and, you know, what are you interested? And all the people you called is all Ramcrete. They're all interested yeah, in Ramcrete. Yeah. They want to know more on Ramcrete and how to make Ramcrete and what are the proportions and 
Yeah. How do you do what, it? What are you ramming with? What are exactly. you camping with? What do the forms look like? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think Ramcrete is, if you're in the industry and you're wanting to get a leg up and you're wanting to get ahead and, and do things that are very, very innovative and on the forward cutting edge, I, I heard somebody say that when you're on a cutting edge, you cut yourself or something like that. Says the, says the people following from the back, you know, you can always do something five years after we did it, but we're on the forefront. And so if you want to be on the forefront and you want to get there and you want designers to call you because you're the person in your area doing these innovative things, come to that right. workshop, August 9th through 11th, Napa, California, go to concretedesignschool.com. It's called the concrete heroes quest, two and a half day class. And we're going to cover GFRC. We're going to cover upright casting. We're going to cover post tensioning and we're going to cover Ramcrete. So, yeah. It's going to be a good time, but it's kind of surprised me. You know, I've loved Rammed Earth. I fell in love with Rammed Earth 24 years ago, 23 years ago, year 2000. So 23 years ago is when I fell in love with the Rammed Earth. And it was what was the genesis for me to start my company, Rammed Earth, the material I wanted to get into sustainable construction. And I knew that I didn't have enough money or know-how to start a construction company doing rammed earth. But I thought, huh, I could probably do concrete countertops. That seems like something I could do. I could buy a mixer. I could get a space. That seems like mm -hmm. a, a low cost of entry business to get into. And back then nobody was doing it. And uh, so that's actually what led me into concrete. And, you know, along the way, I really fell in love with concrete in the process. And that's really benefited me with rammed earth because I've taken the skill sets we've developed over the years with really high performance, very meticulously crafted concrete and applied that to rammed earth where most rammed earth builders see tolerances in several inches. I see tolerances in millimeters, you know, like everything has to be perfect. And that comes from that. But my point is I've always loved rammed earth and for me it's exciting, but it's kind of crazy to see all these other people that I didn't know had any interest in this stuff. I thought it was just me right. that was interested in it that are super interested in what we're doing. So, Again, if you well, like, I think I told us in one of the last podcasts or, you know, post the workshop, you know, when we were all sitting around coming up with a like, well, you know, let's, let's do this. Look, man, I being honest, John, I'll be the first to admit I was skeptical, right? Like, you know, uh, once we did it, that's when, uh, how do I explain it? That's when a, when a, when a, slight frown went into that massive grin like holy crap this could be really freaking cool and that's when my imagination started going crazy from like same yeah man what could i do with this oh man same. i could see this base and the, the, the fireplace around and, and wall panels and wall benches pan yeah. and planters yeah, yeah, yeah. things that you were not picturing at all um all of a sudden became very very possible yeah well, you know, the funny thing is, it's something you and I have been working on for years, but we've been mm -hmm. working on it between me and you. Right. And when we went out to Joe's and we're talking about the base and he's like, well, I want to do something textured. And I'm like, well, what if we did like a, like a rammed type thing? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because rammed earth is big in California. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you started playing with rad mix with the things we've been playing with, but we did some tests there and you post some photos and people made jokes about it. Like I wouldn't post that publicly. Right. And you're like, I'm showing the process, dude. <laughs> exactly. You know, that was funny actually. That yeah. Was, I thought it was funny. But the point is it was something that it was just kind of a conversation between me, you and Joe about, he wanted to do a textured base. He wanted to do something a little bit different. And you and I are like, well, let's take the, the, you know, the rammed earth slash concrete type thing that we've been playing with 
and do that. And yeah. um, we took what we'd done and refined it even further. And in a short amount of time, you did some tests and they came out really good and came up with, uh, with this ultra high performance Ram to earth, which is incredible. And I'm going to be here at my shop. I'm going to be doing, uh, one of the, the primary, the, you know, the focal wall when you go into the bathroom as rammed earth panels, ram crete panels, three inches thick, maybe two inches thick. I don't know. The possibilities are unimaginable right now. There's so many things, everything you can do in concrete, you can do in ram crete, but that aesthetic, I'm guarantee you 10 years, restoration, hardware, Starbucks, pottery barn, you know, you're going to see that texture and coloration and striations and layering. You're going to start seeing that in the next decade, but you can be in it now. You can be doing it yep. now. You can be the go-to source in your area now if you get on board. But to get on board, you got to come, come come to the class. Come on. Come out to California. Yeah, it's going to be cool, dude. August 9th. It's going to be cool to yeah. see what people start doing with it and and where it's going to go. It's, it's going to be pretty cool. You know, I'm talking to some projects in the Middle East right now that want rammed earth cladding, which three months ago I said no. And I did say no to these projects. But now I'm saying, yes, we can do that because of what we're able to do. So anyways, um, I hope you come. I hope, I hope the people listen to this. I hope you join us in, in Napa for two and a half days. Go to ConcreteDesignSchool.com. I'm going to put it in the show notes on this, the link and a description. You can read about it. Uh, but I hope to see you there. Anything else, John? No, that's all I can think about now, man. Nothing else. Well, trust me, I could keep going on profitability. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just, I don't know, man. It's one of those things like you can lead a horse to water. I I feel like we do the, we have these conversations because we want the best for everybody involved. For everybody. Yeah. You know, and um, this conversation is a conversation nobody else is having uh, as far as, again, training or information outlets or whatever, because it's not something they have firsthand experience with. It's something that we talk about because we do have firsthand experience with it. And it's an issue that we've seen. You know, when I heard from Buddy Rhodes products and blue back in 2000, I don't know, 10, 11, whenever that was, that the attrition rate was 90% or more. Yeah, it huge. It blew my mind. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I mean, I saw it. People come to my class and then I'd follow them on Facebook, whatever, and I'd see they're working in this industry or selling cars. I'm like, what happened? I got you in my class a couple of years ago, you know? Mm-hmm. I would see people that had come to training. I knew they'd started a business, but then a couple of years later, they're doing construction or they're, you know, a captain on a boat or whatever it is. I don't know. Yeah. Didn't work out. Yeah, it didn't work out. And uh, so I knew, I knew that happened, but I didn't know it was 90%. And that's a huge number. And it's something that doesn't have to be that way. And I feel, you know, if, if, uh, if we can help educate people on the things they should be looking at, a different perspective, I would say, if we can help. Yeah, that's all. Awesome. Different perspective. Yes. Help illuminate a different viewpoint that they never considered, then uh, maybe we can help them stay in this for, for the long term. Well, and then we said, and, and lift all boats. Yeah. Rising tide lifts all ships. hundred percent. Lift them all. Yeah. Bring it all up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just about charging more per se. It's understanding and why you're charging more. And so, yeah. So they, yeah, I listened to that podcast. I think I'm going to up my price by 20 bucks. Maybe it needs to be 80. (laughs) It needs to be 200. Maybe it needs to be 2000. Yeah. Maybe, (laughs) you know, like there's, yeah. 
there, there's no set number. There's general guidelines that we talk about in our workshops. No. We talk about it on a podcast. It's not proprietary information. There's general guidelines that like you shouldn't be less than this, but that doesn't mean that's where you should be. You need to crunch the numbers and find out where you need to be. And only you can right. figure out those numbers for you. And if you don't know what those numbers are, then you don't know if you're being successful or, or you're losing money. And well, so anybody, you know, take the moment to go read Simon Tipple's write-up. It's a great place to take a look at someone's perspective who's who's living it right now and and what what now, you know, changing perspective for him has done for him, his family and his business. Exactly. And we talked about in the last podcast, but Sean Van Dyke, his book Profit First for Contractors, great book, great audiobook, download it. Again, I I don't know Sean Van Dyke uh, I don't get any kickback or money or anything for, for promoting his book, but I think it's a great resource for guys in any construction trade industry to read and apply that to their business, whether they're doing flat work or you're a carpenter or whatever it is. You know, it's the, the trades mentality, tradesmen, tradeswomen, trades in general. The mentality is uh, rob Peter to pay Paul. I made $4,000. I'm going to use it to, to do this. And you just keep that that whole Ponzi scheme going until you finally go to business. You know, the house of cards finally yep. comes down and you know, just is what it is. And he didn't charge the right amount. And that's what it comes down to. And that's what Sean Van Dyke goes into is you have to know your numbers. You have to know your markup. You have to be able to charge accordingly. And if you charge anything less than that, you're losing money and it's not worth it. So don't do it. And yeah, that's all there is to it. Yeah. We can't go to work losing money every day because well, you can, we, but it's a hobby. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, but I mean, you're just not going to be around long enough. All you're going to do is well, frustrate yourself. Unless, frustrate unless you have a very family. rich daddy, maybe, maybe your daddy bought your business for you. Maybe your daddy bails you out whenever whenever you get in trouble. I mean, I there, there's certain people out there that I think can run in a deficit, and they have the family resources to carry them. But I don't have that, and you don't have that. You know, I mean, we came about this honestly. No. So we started our businesses from the ground up. We've been in it for 20 years. We've fought tooth and nail and learned the lessons the hard way. And uh, experience is what matters. And so, you know, listen, listen to our, I'd say, words of wisdom that come from years of, of trials and tribulations and pain. Because the only reason we know this now is because we learned all the reasons of the wrong ways of doing things. And survived it. Um, and survived it, yeah, luckily, by the skin of our teeth. Because yeah, there were several times, it. like you, there were several times I was probably a month away from closing shop. No question. Yeah, and, I know I got there Yeah, many times. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it happened, especially in those first probably, you know, eight to ten years. There was a lot of times. I mean, it, it, was, it, it was too close for comfort too many times. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. But I didn't know what I didn't know. I read the business books. I read the marketing books. I, I did this. I did that. But the lessons of running a successful business weren't in those. Simon Tipple said, you know, like if he went to college right now and got a degree in uh, finance and business administration, they, they probably wouldn't teach the lessons that you and I are discussing. These things Correct. just aren't discussed. Yeah, the real world through. application, real world, not theoretical not something that was written in a book in the 1940s and 50s. It's taught as a curriculum at a university. What matters today in the world we live in today, that's what yeah, we're talking not about. Not something in the academic world. Exactly. Yeah, we're talking real life. Real life. Anyways. All right, man. All right, man. Anything else? All right. Well, 
No, that's it. Till next time. Till next time. Till next time. Adios. Bye.